0: as we bring this back together you know a few years ago it was probably like four years ago i borrowed my wife's reading glasses for the first time and what i found was absolutely amazing i looked at my phone and got like a free upgrade everything was bigger it was like high resolution clear and i was amazed that a ten dollar pair of reading glasses could transform my phone in my life I guess what had happened is my eyes stopped seeing well and so i actually had to get glasses and uh and so i use them now on a regular basis it is amazing how my eyes hurt a lot less after getting glasses as well um and what we're talking about today is really about spiritual ophthalmology we're going to talk about our spiritual eyes and we're going to see that being revealed in this passage and so we're going to look at the wonder of blinded eyes being opened, and so we're looking at these five questions that deal with these five areas of our eyes, um, and so we're going to ask that first question, what is it that unbelievers can't see, and I'm going to turn this over to here for a second, what is it that unbelievers can't see, what did you all come up with in that first row? They cannot up of the box. Yeah, they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you all agree? All right, we got full. Yeah. So what they're actually what they're failing to see is Jesus as God. They don't see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So non-believers among whom we walk and and live may believe a lot of good things. Uh, they may be good moral people. Um, they may um, do a lot of good things, but what they fail to see above anything else is that Jesus is God. Now, you probably remember that in maybe in your own life, in the days before you became a Christian, that there was a time where you thought maybe even nice things about Jesus, but you failed to see him as God. It's interesting in C.S. Lewis's description of uh, his own conversion, that he was walking along in a garden one day, along a road, and he says he's not quite sure when it happened, but he said when he took off on the road, he did not know Jesus was God, but by the time he ended that journey, he did. It was at some point on that journey, that physical journey for him, his spiritual eyes were open, and that is true of all of us. Um, interestingly, in our passage, Paul refers back in the, early, in the chapter before to his own people, the Jewish people, And says this is true of them spiritually as well, for his own his own Jewish people failed to see Jesus as God. In fact, if you look back in chapter three, of 2 Corinthians, he says, but their minds—he's talking about the the minds of his people—their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their hearts. Um, and so catastrophically, for all the the belief that people have in Jesus, and most people will call Jesus a great moral person, they'll have a high opinion of Jesus, what people fail to see is Jesus as God. And that was the case, he said, with his own people, the Jewish people, in that they had the covenant, they had the laws of God, but they failed to see Jesus as God. And that is what they were blind to—the blind to the glory of of uh, of Jesus as God. So that leads to our second question of the five: Why can't the unbelievers see this? And so I think it was you three groups over here, right? Why can't unbelievers see? We have a—do we have a couple of spokesmen? Anyone want to speak up? Why can't unbelievers see? they are all born with that's that's true and then how is it expressed specifically in this text oh Oh, you didn't have the text all right well we're going to depend on these guys around us yeah so we see in here a very interesting statement i'm going to move over here i'm we're moving along as we as we do this sermon i'm going to try to keep space but uh we're gonna get closer to you all too through this so that what we see here is it says in our text in verse 4 in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers now obviously paul has no desire to exalt satan right he never would and so it's no small thing for him to call satan the god of this age or the god of this world right and if that's no small thing for him to call him that um then we have to realize this is a significant statement he's making because what he's saying is there is no area of life, of, of family life, there's no area of society in which the enemy does not have tremendous influence. And we've got to recognize that. Um, there's no a- aspect of, 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 of economic life, a culture, arts, uh, sports, any aspect of life you can think of in which Satan doesn't want to get involved. However, Above and beyond all of that, and we do see division that he causes and confusion that he causes throughout all of life. We see that in our culture now. We see the brokenness as we think of the prayers that uh, that Ben led us in, the brokenness in this world that is the result of Satan's activity. But above and beyond all of that, he has one primary um, objective. Above and beyond all of that, Satan desires to keep people from seeing Jesus as God. He wants people to not see the identity and the mission and the call of Jesus, why he came, who he is, and what it means to follow him. He doesn't want people to see that, and as a result, he's gonna blind their eyes. Satan blinds. Now, coming to understand that truth, how does that change your perspective about reaching out to unbelievers, realizing they're going around blind? If you were to come across to a, to a street corner And a blind man was going to cross the street, and you'd want to help him, would you not? Does this not give us a compassion to those God has put into our lives who are blinded spiritually? Where we see, oh, these people are blinded. Yes, they're born of their sin nature, but they're also blinded by Satan, who's keeping people from seeing who Jesus is. And they're blind to anything beyond that. Okay, well, we're going to get to our third of the five questions. The bell men are going to help us with this. We'll see if they can express this b- with brevity. Okay. The question we have here, that's going to go right over here. Is this blindness serious? Yes. Answered yes. Do you all agree? Yeah, very good answer. You guys spend a lot of time on that. I'm glad you did. Okay. Why do you say that? serious as those who are blinded by blinded from seeing Christ, blind from seeing Jesus God are unaware of the glories and the, the eternal life that lay beyond. And that's why we are called to be evangelists those who speak out. If it wasn't so serious, then we have no need to venture out and remove the blindness. Yeah. And so in the case here though, our our text will actually say it's it's serious because they're perishing. Our life is short. Um, and that is should be a very scary and serious thing for us. We are, as we have already referred to the fact that we are living in a world um, that is coming to grips with our own mortality. And as we realize that our lives are short, that people apart from Christ will die eternally apart from him unless their blinded eyes are open. Um, and so that is... Um, a serious thing that we come across. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis put it like this. Um, in kind of a, a, a background passage, again in, in 2 Corinthians, actually a chapter up from us, Paul says, then from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, or from a human point of view. Lewis wrote, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, and to remember that the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you'd be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption as now as you meet if only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or two of these destinations. It is the light. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with awe and circumstances proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play and all politics. And he concludes, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. That is why this is such an important passage. It reminds us that those who are perishing, apart from Christ, could perish eternally. All right, so we're at our fourth of our five questions. We're coming back to the second to the last row here, and we're answering the question. We know that Satan blinds. We know it's serious. We know we can't see Christ. So you all over here came up with it, had the question, who can cure this blindness? Now, this could be a Sunday school answer. Who cures this blindness, according to our text? Jesus. Yeah, it is Jesus. It is God, yes. And where do you, did you guys find that in the text anywhere? See, we're good Presbyterians here. We're going to go back to the text. Excellent. That was verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, what does that bring to mind? That brings to mind two other passages in, um, in the Bible. First of all, it, when did did God say, let light shine out of darkness? That's a, this should be an easy one. Was that Genesis 1? Let light shine out of darkness. So, what Paul is saying here is the same marvelous creating power that it took to create the world is what it takes for us to see Jesus as God. It takes that same power. So if you ever come across anyone who says they have a boring Christian testimony, you need to take them. I would normally say, if you're inside the church, I would say you take them out to the parking lot and you give them a headbutt. But we're already in the parking lot, so I'm not sure. You take them over towards the other part of the parking lot, and you give them a headbutt because there is no such thing as a boring testimony because it is the same miracle power. And Paul illustrates this by saying, by alluding to his own conversion. He says, What light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He actually shares with us his own story on the road to Damascus. Remember, he had to be blinded physically to see spiritually. He had to be struck by lightning in order to see. And so in this same way, Paul is saying, my conversion is extraordinary. But he's also saying, but it's no different from yours. All of us had to come and see spiritually the same way I did. Your conversion is no less extraordinary than the Apostle Paul's. And that is his point here. It takes God to shine. So Satan blinds, but God shines. You get that? Verse 4, Satan blinds, but but uh, God shines. So we're going to ask our final question. And uh, that's going to be for the back row. See, if you guys in the front, I'll try to say, say loud. But the back row, we're looking between verses 4 and 6. Verses 4. Satan blinds. Verse 6, God shines. So the answer is probably in verse 5, in case the back row didn't get it. But I think they're pretty sharp back here. We're going to find out. All right, back row. What is our part in evangelism then? Ask the servants to speak the grace of God. Okay, so we truthfully speak of the grace of God as, as a servant. And how do you see that expressed? Are there different ways in this passage? It says, do not use cunning uh, we are and we are called to, to God. Perfect. You guys are the. Like, I'm not sure why they made you sit in the back. It's unbelievable. That's a, a perfect answer. All right. So we have that here that uh, I'm not sure if you all in the front heard that, but we heard it the expression here of what it what is our role in evangelism? We speak truth and we do this in humility. And so we'll see this In verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So though the, the power to open blind eyes lies utterly with the sovereign God, he has decreed that his people, of whom he's called us, have a critical role to play in the work of evangelism. Our job is to proclaim Christ, and we don't use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. Our job is to do that, to herald forth this message from the church, but also in all of our relationships. Our job is to make Jesus known, to tell the good news. And that is what every um, part of creation has been known for, uh, known or created for, is to do this. And so as we do that, recognize a few things about where God has placed you? We see a couple things in this passage. We see, we use gospel integrity. We do not distort the word of God. While tempted, if we lack the confidence in God, we tend to do a couple things. We tend to distort the word of God to make it more appealable to those around us. We talk less about sin and repentance and hell. We don't talk about the the distortions um, of of the scripture um, that the world has taken on to make jesus unnecessary we make this appealable because we want to be liked or we want the message to be received but if we realize that god is calling us not to distort the word of god and if we're going to be men and women of integrity this means we don't change that at all we renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways verse 2 tells us and by the open statement of the truth we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so we see how this fits together perfectly. We have God's sovereignty. We have gospel integrity. And then finally, we have our humility for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but, your, but ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. It is our job not to point people to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus and in humility, draw him to him, draw people to him um and so that leads to gospel creativity because as we are holding on with one arm our uh, the the gospel integrity where we're not going to compromise we're constantly reaching for people and we're constantly saying how can i creatively share the gospel i'm going to put a short plug in here that's where our ministry with christian explored comes forth what we are trying to do is we take people into the gospel of mark so over seven weeks who's jesus why did he come And what does it mean to follow him? We let the Bible do the tough We're going to let the Bible tell the gospel. We're going to let the gospel tell the gospel. But we also do it in a loving environment, usually over a meal, over seven weeks, where we get to know people, where we listen well, where we hear where where they are. We start at listening, and we present the gospel over time. That's gospel humility. It's interesting, in Acts 17, when Paul was in Athens, he said something to... um, to those gathered there in his sermon. Um, and and he's talking about God's relationship with us, with each individual. It says in verse 26 of Acts 17, and God, he made from every from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So what we know is there is no one in your life that God hasn't ordained to be there. It might be pretty amazing. You might find people have moved into your neighborhood and they may have said, hey, I have moved um, into this neighborhood um, because I I think this is going to be close to my job or because of a career move or because of something else. And God may have them there to meet you because you are the Christian that he's put in their life. He is in their time, that they're moving here at the time that you are living here and their passage tells us. And that should be greatly humbling to us that God is at work in that. So as we conclude this service, this sermon, we realize several things. God has called us to an amazing task, a task to which we are not equal. We should be humbled by it because who is capable for such a task, Paul says. But we should also be in awe of the fact that God chooses to use us to be bold in realizing it is God who opens blind eyes. We can't. Satan blinds, God shines. And so God opened eyes, and we proclaim Christ. That's how that all goes together. Uh, to Jesus, his sake. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word that has come to you, to us today through the Apostle Paul. Thank you that uh, that we hear about our role in evangelism. Thank you that you have called us to this amazing task. Lord, we pray that uh, that as we reflect now on how we can offer ourselves to you, that uh, that we will see that we are in in debt to you because of your great love for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time now. Pray that you will, again, um, allow your word to seep into our, our minds and into our hearts and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.